All right. Well, I want to bring you a simple message today, and I've entitled it The Great Commandment and The Great Commission. Uh, we might even call this Recalibrating Your Soul. But in 1 John 4, 9, it says, In this the love of God was manifest towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Now, notice the purpose that Jesus came for was that you might live through him. Most Christians would say that Jesus came so they could miss hell and go to heaven. Or Jesus came so they could be forgiven. But with God, th those are all true. But those were like a means to an end. What God really wants to do is he wants to live through you right now. That's what he's looking for. When the angel came and talked to the, the, uh, the disciples that were in prison, he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, what he called Christianity was not just being forgiven, not just being on your way to heaven, but he called it this life. It, it's more than being forgiven. It's more than going to heaven. Now, those are true. But notice he called it this life. He's saying, when you become a Christian, your life is to be lived different than it was before. There should be a difference between the life of a believer and a non-believer. And the only difference shouldn't be, I'm forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven, and these are the things that I believe. But there should be, when you look at their life, they live differently. Acts chapter 2, the church is born, Peter's preaching. And he says, be saved from, again, what would most Christians say? Well, be saved from hell. But he said, be saved from this perverse generation. How many of you know the world around us is a mess? How many of you realize things are not getting better every day? The, the world is getting darker and darker. But... It says for you and I to be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, as a Christian, you're going to live differently than the world. In Colossians, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Now, I mean, you know, Jesus is coming back. Every New Testament author talks about it. Now, it said when, when Christ, who is your life, not your Sunday life, but every part of your life, he is your life. It has to, he has to do with, with, with work. You see, work is not your life. Your career is not your life. Your hobbies, your sports team, your family, your leisure, your entertainment, your plans. That is when Christ, who is your life, and what Christ is supposed to do, he's supposed to affect your work and your career and your hobbies and your kids and your sports and your marriage and your entertainment and your leisure and your plans. Christ is supposed to be right in the middle of every one of them. In fact, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we seek him first. He, he is the first priority when we look at every single area of our life. When Christ, who is your life, will appear. It says in Colossians, it says Colossians, in Corinthians 5, it says, and he died for all. How many believe that? Here's the result, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but 
for him who died for them and rose again. So you are no longer to live for yourself. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you will lose your life, you will find it. You'll find it when you lose it. In fact, one translation says it this way. It says, lose your low life and come to his high life. I like that. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand. So God has planned good works for you to do. In fact, I like to say it this way. You were saved from sin, but you were saved into the kingdom of God to do good works. Now, good works don't save you. But they are a reflection of what or a manifestation of what God has done on the inside of you. All right. That you may do the good works that God planned beforehand for us. So God has planned for you to do some good works. Taking paths he prepared ahead of time. My, my, my assistant uh, executive pastor, really, Al, uh, every time something shows up bad, this is what he says. He says, God is not surprised. How many have had some bad stuff show up? And let me just say something. God is not surprised. And when it comes to us, it says taking paths, he prepared ahead of time. He's already, when that problem shows up, he's already prepared for your victory, your deliverance to bring you through. But God has also prepared good works beforehand paths that you should walk in and get this living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for you to live. Now, anytime that you do not know the purpose for which something was created, you misuse it. If you do not know its purpose, you will misuse it. One of our grandchildren took Jeannie's iPhone and put it in the toilet because he thought they were supposed to swim. Unfortunately, a lot of people take their life and they put it in the toilet because they don't know what it was created for. They don't know their purpose. But you were created in Christ to do good works. You were, God has a purpose for you. You weren't just saved from sin. You were saved to the kingdom of God. You were saved to the good works that he's called you to. Jesus said, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, we are living in the me generation. If there was ever a time, we're living in a self-centered culture where it's my happiness, my ease, my desire, my leisure, my entertainment. Uh, we have our friend Rebecca uh, with us here today from, from uh, Spain. She has been a missionary in Spain for 39 years. And we are just so, so glad to have you. Thank you for being here. Now, we were talking before service and she said, it's, it's the same. She said, in Spain, it's the same thing. She said, everybody's just into my leisure, my entertainment. What do I want? But Jesus said, if you desire to come after him, he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's not the, the, the selfish me, me, mine, what do I want? But it's your kingdom come, your will be done. 
How many know when we receive him, we receive him as the Lord of our life? Everything is to be submitted to him. But the Bible says, Christ, who is your life? Who is your life? You know, we're living in a society where finding yourself it seems to be the highest value. Of course, there's been a lot of research as well as experience that shows that seeking self-interest above all else is the most destructive and unfulfilling way to live. And people jettison their marriages, their families, their morals, their values for just to be to me, to be me, to find me. All right. And let me just tell you, finding you is not a good idea. The, the Bible says that your heart is exceedingly wicked. You find, you find that old self, it's a mess. You're going to be a mess. But that's why Jesus came to make us new on the inside. Sacrificing our own benefit for that of another is the backbone of character and of love. There's a story told, I don't know if it's true or not, about a discouraged rabbi who was uh, in the Siberian tundra and he, he was just discouraged, didn't feel like his life was going anywhere, his ministry was going anywhere. And he went out one night and he was just walking and trying to meditate and put things together. And as he was walking, he ends up in a Russian military compound that is off limits to civilian personnel. In a Russian, the very next thing he remembers is a Russian soldier barking out, some, a command brandishing his, his rifle and saying to him, you, who are you and what are you doing here? Kind of slapped that rabbi upside the head and he thought for a moment and he looked at that soldier and he says, how much do they pay you every day? And the soldier said, what does that have to do with anything? And the rabbi said, I will pay you the same sum if you will ask me that question every morning. Who are you and what are you doing here? Who are you and what are you doing here? You know, your answer ought to be, I'm a child of God. I'm a representative of the kingdom of God. And what am I doing here? I'm seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm a representative of the kingdom of God. That's what that, that we need to ask ourselves some questions. When uh, Jesus was 12 years old, the Bible says his parents take him to Jerusalem to Passover. At that time, Jerusalem, the, the, the uh, population would just explode. As, as many people as possibly could would make it to Jerusalem for Passover. After the Passover celebration, they're on their way back to Nazareth, on their way back up into the Galilee in the north where, where Jesus and his family live. And Joseph and Mary assume that Jesus is with some friends or relatives. But when the evening arise and they can't find him, they panic. And they're like, we have lost God. What are we going to do? So they, they run back to Jerusalem. And the Bible says they return and they look for Jesus for two days. And they finally find him. And he's in the temple. And he's talking with the rabbis and the teachers of the law, answering their questions and asking them questions. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus said to them, why did you seek me? Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? He said, didn't you know where I'd be? 
because I was going to be about my father's business. From a young age, he knew the assignment that God had given him. He knew his calling. He knew he was supposed to be about his father's business. And it transcended everything. It transcended the carpentry, his friendships. It transcended his parents' expectation. And listen, don't mix up your calling with your career. Your career is what you do to get paid. But your calling is what you were created to do. And you will never, never really have peace and purpose until you find your calling and dedicate yourself to your calling. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he planned beforehand and to take paths that he prepared ahead of time for you to live. And if you're measuring your life by the wrong metrics, you will lose your purpose, you'll lose your identity. That's what happened to Israel. They forgot and they blended into their culture and everything that was around them. The Bible says this. This is in Lamentation chapter 1. She didn't consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She did not consider her destiny, her purpose. She didn't consider it. And because she didn't consider it, the Bible says her collapse was awesome. And unfortunately, there's so often in the church today, people do not consider what was I created to do? What is my destiny? What is my purpose? And the result is that they collapse. They literally, they collapse and it is, it's terrible. It's terrible. They live a life without purpose and they miss the thing that they were created to do. This is not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the kingdom. So often the matrix we're judging by is our, our career, our money, our, our family, our athletic team, or sports, or clubs, or jobs, or hobbies, or leisure, or entertainment. But every one of those, Christ, who is your life, needs to be right in the middle of them. And as a father, your number one purpose is not to be a disciplinarian, but your number one purpose is to make disciples to make those children disciples of Jesus. And as a mother, your main role is not to prepare meals, but to prepare or make disciples. And as a student, it's not to seek popularity and the approval of others, but to seek Jesus first and his approval above everything else. Not how many likes can you get on Facebook. When you don't fear God, you'll fear nothing else. When you fear him, you fear nothing, nothing but him. When you don't seek God, you'll always seek something else. And when God is not first place in your life, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But when it's not first, it never is second or third or fourth or fifth. It just slides down the ladder. And we live our life without considering our destiny. And the Bible says the fall, it's awesome. And it's not a good awesome, it's a bad awesome. John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they gain in eternity. The core of our purpose is so simple. Know Jesus intimately 
live life accordingly and influence others appropriately. First Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, we just sang that song. Tell the old, old story. He said, this is my story. This is my song. You know, what is your story? The Bible says you need to be ready to give an answer, to talk to somebody. And, and, uh, and it doesn't need to be long. In fact, probably the shorter, the better. You know, there was a movie that came out a while back called Gone in 60 Seconds. Had a great car, car chase scene. I loved it. But basically it was like you get it done in 60 seconds or you can forget it. You know, the truth is you just need to be able to tell what God has done for you in 60 seconds. In fact, if you go longer than that, you'll probably lose them. Just just out of your heart. What has God done? And we need to recalibrate our lives from time to time. Jesus gave us that great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And he also gave us a great commission. He told us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But the great commandment, it comes first. In fact, Jesus said the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and when you love your neighbor, there is no greater thing than you can do to your neighbor than share what God has done in your life. But as you go through this world, the world is going to pull, it's going to push, there's going to be bumps, there's going to be potholes, the road is going to be uneven, and you need to recalibrate. How many know every so often your car needs a recalibration? You hit a pothole, get the, get the front end line. You drive 100,000 miles, you need a tune-up. You need to recalibrate. Uh, a while back, uh, a couple churches got together, and they gave me a very expensive watch. And uh, I'm, I'm always early. If you don't know that, I, I'm, I'm always early. But this watch gained two minutes a day. And it made early earlier. And so we sent it back. And they recalibrated it again. But it, it still gained 90 seconds a day. And then, then we sent it back again, and they recalibrated it, got it down to a minute a day. And uh, sent it back again, and it still gained a minute a day. In fact, Jeannie was like, get rid of that watch. Because you're driving me crazy being earlier and earlier all the time. But what I ev literally every day, I had to recalibrate that watch. I should have just got a $10 Timex. It would have worked great. But as you go through life and stuff happens, you need to recalibrate. You know, Jesus uh, said this to, to, to his disciples. They're, they're, they're at that last supper and he said, I'm going to wash your feet. And he came to Peter and Peter said, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, he said, you're going to have no part in me. And he said, well, wash my whole body. And Jesus said, when you're clean, he said, all I need to do is wash your feet. He was saying, you just walked through the city on these dirt roads and now your feet are dirty. That's what happens to you and I as we go through life. Our feet get dirty. The Bible says in Psalms 119, my soul clings in the dust. In other words, as you go through life, the stuff of this world is going to try to grab hold of you 
It's going to contaminate you. It's going to get you dirt. The habits, the way that your time is spent, your priorities, your attitudes, your thoughts. You've got to recalibrate from time to time because the world is going to try to pull you down. The world is going to try to cling to you. The Bible says the dust, it'll cling to your soul. And you've got to recalibrate. So I want to end this morning by simply giving you five things to do to recalibrate. So grab your your device, get it out. If you don't have a device, get out pencil, paper. Five things that you should do regularly to recalibrate as you go through life. Number one is every day recalibrate with the Word of God. It says in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse. This is going to clean your soul. Cleanse her with the washing of the water by the Word. The, The Word of God, it like washes away the stuff of this world that tries to cling to your soul. So every day you get in the Word. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You're going to grow spiritually. Your soul is going to grow. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But it tells us in Ephesians that that word will sanctify and cleanse your soul. So as you go through life and the things of this world are trying to cling to your soul, the word of God will cleanse. It will wash you. The washing of the water of the word. The second thing is pray daily. Pray daily. And here's what prayer does. It connects your soul to God. It turns your heart towards God. When you pray to God, it turns your heart. And what happens is this. It uproots some of the stuff that clings to you as you go through life. It uproots pride and it uproots independence. Pride really is, the the best way to find it (laughs) is prayerlessness. Wherever there's prayerlessness, there's pride. Because we believe we can handle it on our own. That we don't need God's help in what we're doing. And what prayer does is it uproots pride, it uproots independence, and it connects our soul to God. It turns our heart towards God. And we need to recalibrate that way. And we need to do it every single day. Third thing is be in church. Hebrews 10.25, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner or the custom of some, but exhorting one another And so much more as you see the day approaching. It says, as we get closer to the return of Jesus, it says, you need to be in church more than ever before. He says, don't forsake that assembling of ourselves together. Now, here's why. It connects your soul to God and to others. It connects your soul to God and to others. Uh, Over 30 times in the New Testament, It says to pray for one another. It says to bear one another's burdens. It says to to, uh, uh, forgive one another. We're just told to one another, one another, one another, one another, one another, one another, over 30 times. How many of you know you can't one another at home? 
You, you, you want another in the body, in the body of Christ. It connects you to others. It connects you to God. And remember, you were not, it, Christianity is not just about you and God. Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, not mine, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, us, plural, this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we, we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How many realize it's not just about you? Why, why did Jesus pray that way? So that we would realize we're supposed to be part of a body. And Christian, Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. First, recalibrate with the word. Secondly, recalibrate with prayer. Thirdly, recalibrate with church. Fourth, recalibrate with the right friends. Recalibrate with the right friends. The Bible says in Proverbs, the righteous choose their friends carefully because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Right relationships strengthen your soul and correct your soul. They strengthen your soul and they correct your soul. And then lastly, let your light shine. Colossians 3:17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Jesus said, so let your light shine that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, when you, be, when you go out and you minister to somebody in love, when you do something that's tangible for them, it expresses your soul. It completes what you were created to do. You know, you came into church today and there was somebody in the parking lot and they were pointing, you know, go this way, go this way. Now, I want you to listen to this. This was, this was something that Mother Teresa said. She said, we cannot do big things for God. We can only do small things with great love. And that's what makes what we do beautiful to God. You know, there, there's people here, you run multi-million dollar corporations. And you might think, well, if I'm going to serve God, I need to do something big. But the truth is this, it's not what you consider to be significant Something big that makes a difference. It's what you do in love. Mother Teresa said it this way to the people that worked with her. She said, don't just do things with your hands. She said, do them with your heart. Don't pass out meals with your hands. Pass out meals with your heart. Don't wipe a table with a cloth, but wipe the table with your heart. That parking lot attendant that pointed, that they weren't just serving God or ser in serving you with their hand. They were serving you with their heart. Right now, there's somebody in the nursery that's changing a diaper. But they're not just changing that diaper with their hands. They're changing it with their heart. And when you walked through the doors, 
Somebody was there and they, they said hello or maybe they shook your hand. Maybe they even gave you a hug. But it wasn't something that they were just doing with their hands. It was something they were doing with their heart. And the usher that helped you find your seat, they weren't just doing it with their hands and their, their, their legs and their feet. They were doing it with their heart. And the person right now is back in children's church working with a five or six-year-old. They're just not doing that with their hands and their mouth. They're doing it with their heart. And it's not what we consider big that makes the difference. It's what we do with our heart. As Mother Teresa aged, she became very, very famous. And it was really hard to find her at any point where she was not just surrounded with a group of people. It's a true story. One day, she is changing the bandage on a leper. And there were a group around her and one American girl looked at what was happening and said to the person next to him, she said, I would not do that for all the money in the world. And Mother Teresa heard her and she turned and looked at her and said, I would not do this for all the money in the world either. And went back and finished what she was doing. Because it's not what you do, it's your heart. It's your heart of love for God and for people. And Jesus said, so let your light shine that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You know that God loves you, but you may not know this, that there is nothing you could do to make him love you less or love you more. Because he is the perfect expression of unconditional love. Now, the forgiveness that he offers you is something that you need to receive. I want to tell you what God wants from you. He wants you to receive the forgiveness he offers. And he wants you to surrender your life today to Jesus. And you may look at yourself and think, I don't qualify. But there's no life so dark, no sin so shocking, attitude so bad, no sin so perverted, no pit so deep, no addiction so dreadful that the blood of Jesus cannot reach where you are and cleanse you, forgive you, and make you new. But again, what you need to do is you need to receive that forgiveness and surrender your life to Jesus. He will forgive you and he will make you new on the inside. And he specializes in impossibilities. And if you're here today and not where you should be with God, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to lift your hand when I say three. I'm asking you to surrender your life to Jesus, to receive the forgiveness that he offers you. And to come home, come home to God, come home to the Father's house. And as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying to God is you're saying today, I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying today, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus and I'm holding nothing back. Two, get ready. As you lift that hand, you're saying today, I'm going to give Jesus my life. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me. 
You're going to make me a new person on the inside. I'm going to be a part of God's family on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up. Say, pray with me. Pray with me. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Someone else. Include me, Pastor. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Someone say, pray with me, Pastor. Thank you. God bless you. And God bless you. Are there others? All right. Would everyone please just take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. I want you to make these words your own. But everybody, let's pray together with those who lifted their hands. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart, all of my life. I surrender everything. I receive Jesus as my Lord. I thank you for washing me in your blood. That my past is gone. That I'm forgiven. That I'm a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen.